Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. I hope that Matt is playing the Wonder Woman theme song right now. I don't know if we're allowed to do that. <laughs> Probably not. Wait, 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 wait. Do you need? There we go. Actually, I actually downloaded the soundtrack. I really enjoy. This is such a, a weird Stacy fact. I enjoy listening to the um, music of movies while I'm working because there's no words to like distract me. And yeah. um, Harry Potter is obviously my favorite of the musical soundtracks to listen to. But anyway, I just downloaded the Wonder Woman one and we were upstairs dancing with the boys to the theme song. So <laughs> his life. I am. I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to seeing that movie. Oh my gosh. I can't oh. believe you haven't seen it yet. Are you oh. taking the girls? Um, they're, they're so we have caught them up on the entire Marvel cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's time to introduce them to DC. I think that's clearly Wonder I've Woman been... is certainly the least dark of all the DC universe. Like, you know, oh yeah, they don't need to see Batman v Superman. Right. Like... And like the Dark Knight's pretty intense. But if you, yeah. you know, need to go back to old school Batman with like Daniel DeVito <laughs> as the penguin, you're pretty safe. <laughs> gosh um yeah yeah those are still i don't know there's there's still there's my girls get scared very easily they're still a bit creepy yeah uh well maybe you can pre-screen uh, wonder woman for them it's different for me because my boys have seen all of them so it's hard for me to have context but i would say if you're gonna start dc i think wonder woman was the least uh Dark. Well, and you don't you don't need to have met her in no. order to watch the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, no. It's like the beginning of her story. There's a little bit of a throwback to when she was introduced in Batman v Superman, but you don't need that at all. So, anyway, uh, yeah. So that's pretty much what I did this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners, I'm sorry that you're not. Uh, watchers this week we are back to our normal uh i am in my pajamas as per my usual for our recording because as soon as we finish i hop into bed i have i have become um i think i've done such intense sleep training that for me like as i you know, I, I'll tell people like, ha ha ha, I turn into a pumpkin at 10 p.m. But it's 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 really true. If I'm still upright, like 930 in the evening, like I don't feel good. So uh, it's become my my uh, podcasting ritual to like wash my face and get into my pajamas and you know throw on my amber glasses and be like completely ready for bed by the time we record. So that when we record, I just like flop into bed, and, like grab some 
trashy teen romance dystopic future novel to read to <laughs> down. Oh, yes. My taste in books. Although on the bright side, my 10-year-old is getting very similar taste in books. So I just – I rationalize it by saying I'm screening them for her to make sure they're appropriate. Hey, whatever you got to do to right? justify. Exactly. Well, considering that I was late to the podcast, perhaps I should uh, introduce our listeners to our topic this week by way of talking about myself, <laughs> as your text <laughs> indicated. <laughs> I, I was one of those texts that I like, I wrote it really quickly and hit send and then looked at the, the, like how I had phrased that last sentence, like, let's talk about you. And I was like, oh, that's. That's that sounds and not there quite was actually right. an exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, ex- I mean, it, it really it, it was it was said with jazz hands. Um, but no, I mean, I I was thrilled when you offered to to give this particular update. I think there's a lot of really interesting discussion and, and nerdiness that can happen around this topic, and I think our listeners are going to be. I mean, our listeners always love those updates as well, so I think they're going to appreciate it as well. So why don't Sweet. you now? Introduce the topic. Okay. So as our most of our listeners know, but for those of you who don't, it was about two years ago when I had a severe back injury. And I'm going to officially call it that because um, when I went to meet with a personal trainer about two weeks ago and I was walking through the timeline, I realized that there were about half a dozen reoccurrences of re-injury and um, a subsequent fallout from that back injury. Um, for example, what we'll talk about today is I started taking uh, depression medication to deal with the um, emotional implications of losing my best friend, heavy lifting. Um, and in addition to that, I also... Um, had the compression in my discs, which were so bad that it actually was pinching a nerve going down my leg. And when I would have re-injury flares, I would actually not be able to like properly use that right leg. I'd have to drag it. I couldn't like lift it or move it. And there were simple life things like using the restroom and putting on my pants that were extremely painful and very difficult to do. And it really caused, um, trauma for me emotionally and physically just, you know, beyond my back. But I think, um, you know, like I dropped my keys and something that you as a person might not consider, like as you're running out the door late, um, to me, that was like devastated, devastating. It would ruin my whole day because if I had to bend over and pick something up, um, especially early in the morning when my back was kind of stiff, it was like, it was traumatic. It was really painful and, um, little things like that. So, uh, and then with the death of Matt's brother, who was like a brother to me and, um, kind of like a second dad to the boys because he lived with us, the boys, pretty much whole life um, over the winter. There was just really a lot of emotion happening and I realized that I wasn't managing it well on my own and I tried a myriad of things. You can go back and listen to that podcast um, talking about why I chose to go on depression medication. And um, I am not a doctor I am not a medical professional. I do not recommend that you take 
my advice for what worked for me, I highly recommend that you seek a medical professional. Um, but for me, because I had a history of, um, disordered eating specifically, bulimia and binge eating disorder from when I was a teen, um, the type of medication that was recommended to me was an SSRI. And it's also what I took as a teen. And the medication that I took was a, um, had been shown to help specifically the treatment with um, eating disorders as well as depression. And part of what was happening with my depression is I realized I was having disordered eating again and I, was, I wasn't as mindful um, and that kind of stuff as I wanted to be. So it helped a lot. And I talked about that on the podcast. I talked about feeling better. I talked about, you know, being more in control of my emotions and um, not feeling so on edge all the time. I had a lot of anxiety and stress that it really helped. Um, And so I realized maybe in February that... um, I didn't feel as badly as I did before. I um, had come to a point with my back injury where it wasn't really bothering me a lot. And I felt like I dealt with a lot of the um, emotional issues that it was causing, in, in large part, being able to have this audience and blog about it, talk about it, be on social media, and really use that as a mechanism for me to heal. Um, and I also was not willing to continue taking that medication because the side effects were no longer kind of worth, um, the, what they were providing anymore because I was feeling better about things. So when I went in for my checkup, um, to talk about dosage and all that kind of stuff, I talked to the doctor and I explained that, um, in particular, there were two side effects that I didn't like. And there's a myriad of, you know, potential side effects with all kinds of different medication that you could take. But the ones that were affecting me from this particular medication, um, was that it was actually affecting my sleep in a negative way. I am a really freakishly good sleeper. Anytime I use a sleep tracker, it says that I have solid sleep all night long. Like, like just the, I am a deep, deep, deep sleeper and, um, I go to sleep really quickly. And with this medication, it was causing me to take about 45 minutes on average to fall asleep at night. And I was finding myself waking up every couple of hours and I really didn't like that. It was causing me to have to go to bed much earlier or, you know, wake up and not feel rested. Um, which as we've talked about in the show can cause a snowball of other problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I did not like is I realized that I was kind of mindlessly eating, which I know I've described that I had an eating uh, disordered eating with binge eating, but mindless eating is not something that I'd ever done before. And when I say mindless eating, what I mean is if there was food in front of me, I would just eat it. Like it didn't occur to me as to whether or not I was hungry or whether or not I wanted it. My food disorders have always come from emotion and this was not emotion related. It was just like, there was a part of my brain that was kind of turned off and that ability to think or have willpower where normally I would have had was no longer there. And as a result of that mindless eating, I had actually gained and not an insignificant amount of weight on the several months that I'd been on the SSRI. 
And I knew that that was a possibility and it was something that I was willing to take on when I had had a lot of issues and I needed to get them under control. But it wasn't something like I felt like I needed anymore. And so the doctor and I talked through it and we decided um, through the myriad of, of options that he gave me um, that instead of taking another pill, which is evidently what most people do when they reach that point with their SSRI, um, is to take another pill that could inhibit my desire to eat, um, I decided that I wanted to, to instead switch to an SSNI. Am I saying that right, Sarah? Yes. S-N-R-I? Yes, and S-N-R-I, um, which I had never taken before, and I was on the absolute lowest dose of the SSRI, and so I was put on the lowest dose possible of the S-N-R-I, and um, I took it for a month, and I should have seen uh, a change. I should have I should have seen the benefit of it after a month if it was the right dosage for me. But it wasn't the right dosage for me. And instead, I ended up just kind of feeling like my normal self. And then I was like, hey, my, my normal self is, it's all right. Like, as I, as I thought with the SSRI, I really wasn't um, in that nasty place that I'd started out. And I was feeling much better. And so instead of increasing the dosage with another pill, I decided that I was just going to not continue to take any more medication, um, not try to go back to the SSRI with an added pill or increase the dosage in an SNRI, because I felt okay with not seeing that benefit from the SNRI. So I didn't tell anybody, I didn't even tell Matt um, until it had been about 10 days, and I knew that there was nothing in my system. And I'm not going to say that there weren't a few moments where it took me time to adjust to like, you know, being in my own body and not a medication and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, um, some of the mechanisms that I took on myself um, to try to balance the fact that I knew that I was going off of a medication that was helping balance my happy hormones um, was uh, enough to transition me through without like any problems at all. So um I know there was a lot of conversation and one-sided uh, talking <laughs> on that. So before I get into like what wh- what exactly I did, um, maybe Sarah, you could talk about the differences between those pills or do you have thoughts or questions? Um, sure. Why don't I, you know, I think that, um, you know, we can, we can preface the next bit of this podcast by saying, you know, remember that medication isn't failure. I mean, that is one of the reasons why Stacy initially felt it was so important to share this part of her, her journey um, was that, you know, we, we do have some amazing tools in conventional medicine that um, the point isn't to like avoid them completely, but just, just to use them smartly. So not, you know, I have the sniffles, throw antibiotics on it. Like we don't want to be taking antibiotics when we don't need them, but they are a life-saving medication. And as somebody who just finished a course of antibiotics for pneumonia, you know, there are definitely times where these medications are, are life-saving, amazing things that we have access to. And paleo doesn't uh, it reduces our need for conventional medicine, but it doesn't eliminate it, and it doesn't substitute it. We can we can um, 
use both to achieve our best health. So paleo isn't about um, never seeing your doctor again. It's about, you know, being a, a smart um, user of conventional medicine, being um, an advocate for your own health and taking the same approach in terms of understanding the pros and cons of different foods, taking that same education-based decision-making to conventional medicine. So um, it probably would help to talk a little bit about how the these classes of antidepressants were originally created. So, you know, depression is very complex and scientists don't really understand it. Um, but one of the things that they see is that happens in depression is there is reduced amounts of neurotransmitters. So neurotransmitters are uh, chemical communicators. So they're a way that neurons in our brain communicate with each other. Uh, one neuron um basically secretes a neurotransmitter or a mix of neurotransmitters into the space between the neurons. The other neuron has receptors, so it will bind, each receptor will bind with a neurotransmitter molecule, and that will signal to that neuron to do something. And then we have this um, sort of recycling uh, mechanism within the neurons. So the neuron that secreted the neurotransmitter has what are called uh, reuptake pumps, um, and they actually will take back whatever leftover neurotransmitter there is between the two neurons in the synapse um, and take it back into the cell to reuse. And so with the idea of, you know, we've got this shortage of neurotransmitters, um, this whole entire class of drugs was developed to block that reuptake. So to block that recycling with the idea that we've got a shortage of neurotransmitters. If we block the reuptake, um, you know, this, this recycling back of the neurotransmitter back into the, it's, uh, originating neuron, then we're leaving more of that neurotransmitter in the synapse for a little bit longer because um, it's not it's not a complete block. It just sort of slows it down. We're leaving that neurotransmitter in the synapse for a little bit longer so we can get more communication. We can get more binding with receptors um, so it can do it can do more of its job. Um, and it's interesting because we've got um, you know, three main classes of antidepressants that work this way. Uh, SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and that's the biggest class of antidepressants. Um, and so they specifically block the reuptake of serotonin. Serotonin is um, a really important neurotransmitter that is generally thought of as being, you know, calming. So it's um, it has a lot of effects on mood, um, it's linked to or shortage of, of link of serotonin is linked to depression um, and a variety of other psychiatric disorders. Um, we also know that it has roles in things like sleep and memory and decision making. Um, so it, it's um, sort of it was the first it was the first uh, target of, of these drugs. Um, and then the, the newest ones are the SNRIs. They block reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine. Um, and so norepinephrine is um, also linked to mood um, and memory and stress and, um, and is believed actually to be the neurotransmitter that's imbalanced in PTSD. So this is sort of like the newest class. And there's also another class of um, antidepressants called NDRIs, which block norepinephrine and dopamine. Um, 
and, and what's interesting about NDRIs is they've also been shown to be um, potentially therapeutic po- post-traumatic brain injury. So they've got sort of some other some other uses, um, but that's NDRIs is what they put like football players on. So um, so the th- interesting thing about this entire class of drugs, though, is that. That the idea behind it might not be how they actually work. So, you know, scientists don't actually know how these drugs reduce depression. Like, there's all of this theory behind it of, you know, we'll block the reuptake of these neurotransmitters. We have more neurotransmitter in the synapse. We can have more signaling of the neurotransmitter to the next neuron. Except that 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 as that's the theory. It's never actually been proven to be the mechanism behind how these actually work. So it's really important, like, as, you know, Stacey already said, we're not physicians. It's really important to have a really thorough discussion with your healthcare provider about your complete collection of symptoms so that a healthcare provider can decide if any of these drugs are appropriate, which version of these drugs are because there's many, many SSRIs and also many SNRIs, um, you know, which one to try first. And it, it'll really depend on exactly all of, you know, very, it's very individual. Um, and then I think it's also important to understand that typically um, courses of antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications, which is a whole other class of drugs. Um, it's typically a long haul, you know, six months to two years um, is it would be sort of a typical um, amount of time to be on antidepressants to treat um, acute depression. So uh, that would be different from, you know, chronic depression, something like bipolar disease or, or um manic depression, uh, but like an, an acute depression. So I had all of the bad things happen in my life and I feel depressed now. Um, it's, it still would be six months to two years typically. And then typically, um, you know, Stacy could kind of get away with just discontinuing her medication because she was on the lowest dose available, but typically discontinuing would involve a weaning off protocol. Yeah. So it was, it, it was definitely, yeah, it was because I was on the lowest dose and I also did taper because, as I said, I've taken depression medication before. Um, like basically when I realized that I had seven left and I didn't want to go back for a higher dose, I just took it, you know, every other day. And then uh, the last two I took like two or three days apart so that um, it's not to say that I want to tell anybody how to go off, but um, I did with intention, know that I was on the lowest dose and, and taper myself off. So, um, some other things that I, uh, mindfully did as I came off of the medication and it was, I think about six months for me, I, I wasn't keeping track, but I bet if we went back and looked at, um, that podcast and when we started, it would be almost to a six month mark. And so, I could tell in my own that it was um, something I was ready for. And I knew that worst case scenario, if it didn't go well, then I could have just gone back on the SSRI dose that was working for me, even though it had side effects that I wasn't a big fan of at that point. Um, so some, some of the things that I focused on as I came out of or tapered off of the medication um, was something that you know, I've learned through therapy and something that, um, 
is just really important to figure out how to do in your life, which is focus on the positive and try to find the happy. So even in um, the worst case scenarios, for example, it wasn't the best of times. Like it wasn't like something I, um, timing wise, I think worked in my favor, but that's how I knew I was ready because I was undergoing like a super high stress situation with trying to sell my house and buy another one. And, um, my buyer on my house fell through, uh, which meant the contract that I had fell through and I had to find another buyer. And then, um, I couldn't find another house that I liked. And there was like all this stress going on. And, Instead of focusing on um, what I teasingly kept telling people, which was, I'm either never going to be able to move out of my house, or like I immediately would go through as soon as we had a buyer and and joke around and say, okay, now we're going to be homeless. Um, And so I was able to make jokes, and I was also able to focus on the most positive parts of it. So for me, it was, um, you know, the the journey that we were all taking, how it was going to be something that we could look back at and laugh, how we were lucky that we had multiple people interested in buying our home. And that worst case scenario, it could be on the market all summer. We didn't have, you know, time constraints. There wasn't anything that required us to leave. Um, I tried to focus on the positive as much as I could. And I also, with intention, um, found things that brought joy to my life. So from little things like uh, choosing to watch television shows that were positive and uplifting. So like Handmaid's, Handmaiden's Tale, hand, some, something like that. There were a couple of shows that came out that everybody was talking about. And I was like, nope, that's not a good show for me right now. Like, I, don't, I don't need to be stressed out um, with a really intense show. Um, and I listened to music that was really positive and upbeat for me. Um, I, I focused on surrounding myself with as much positivity and, and happy thoughts as possible. Um, I think like there's the, one of the infamous episodes of Oprah from years and years ago about the secret and the secret is you, you manifest those things that you bring into your life. And, um, I don't think it applies to a lot of the things that some people, say that it applied to for them. Um, I wouldn't take it for example, um, I'm going to will this cancer out of my body. That might be something that somebody else does that would not work for me. Um, but what it does do for me is allow me to focus on what I can affect and how I want to perceive situations. And so I think like, for me, that is how I implemented coming off of the medication and just being really really actively thinking in my head, like, okay, how, how can I positively see this? How can I not become overwhelmed or stressed out or frustrated by this? Um, making sure to take deep breaths. And if I was frustrated by a situation walking away, um, I did find myself, you know, snapping, so to speak a couple of times Mm -hmm. in that transition period. And what I was able to do is immediately know that it was happening and tried to, either acknowledge it and walk away and come back later and say, sorry, you know, that was, that was over the top and uncalled for, or, um, you know, just being really straightforward, like if it was Matt and say, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean for that to come out. Let me rephrase or whatever. Um, and so I think being really straightforward and, and mindful of those things was, was huge to, um, the success of that, uh, transition for sure. 
So, you know what's really interesting about that? that is that there's actually scientific studies that use, um, you know, positivity as an intervention for um, clinically, um, like, anxiety and depression that um, is so bad that it basically, you know, inhibits people from living their lives normally. And um, they they actually have, there's a, a small collection of studies, but that actually show that, you know, doing this in different ways, but basically looking at positive thinking um, and positive behaviors. So things like um, being optimistic, um, uh, taking a moment to express gratitude, performing acts of kindness, um, that those things can actually significantly improve um, depressive and anxiety symptoms in in a clinical setting. And so there's actually, you know, scientific studies showing that that, you know, really focusing on mindset and really focusing on positivity in general. And then, then there's a whole separate group of studies showing um, that, you know, gratitude, uh, maybe gratitude journaling or gratitude meditation. So taking a few minutes a day to just focus on the things that we're grateful for, that that can be um, very helpful for mood disorders. There's also science showing that mindfulness meditations, mindfulness practice um, can actually be better than um, sort of the traditional um uh, sort of cognitive behavioral therapy that mindfulness can actually outperform the um, more stereotypical, right, you know, counseling that, that might happen for, for people with depression. Um, so there's, there's, there is some science to support how effective, um, you know, that effort into positive thinking can actually be for recovering from depression. I love that there's science on that. I would, I would like to add, as you mentioned, that I was not ready to be positive um, when I started this journey. Like that was the thing as I tried and I wasn't there. I wasn't in a place that I could. And um, that was one of the ways that I knew I was ready to transition is because while I was in those stressful situations and the new medication on that lowest dose I was on hadn't taken effect on things. And I was how I was managing at that point is finding the positivity and focusing on that stuff. And so I think um, the other thing that I actively decided to do um, when I was transitioning is to mindfully go back to kind of a purist approach to my paleo template or, um, you know, my version of AIP or clean eating or whatever you want to call it. You know, I think we all, um, go through different phases of our life and for sure, um, for me, uh, there are times, especially when like our house was on the market and we were using the kitchen that we were eating out way more often than, um, I intended. And I think, you know, we talked on the show not too long ago about this concept of, um, eating foods that make you feel good versus foods that don't make you feel bad. And that whole concept was something that at that time I was really focused on because that's when I was, um, in the transition and, and coming out. And, um, I, that is the method that I used 
to ensure that, you know, from a hormone perspective, from an energy perspective, from, you know, helping me sleep to all of the things that we know that good eating can do, I knew that I needed that support as I transitioned off medication. And so I did, you know, a super clean approach for about 45 days. There was, um, I think, like, one holiday. It might have been Wesley's birthday. Maybe it was Mother's Day. But I had already been like 30 days into the process at that point. And so um, I decided, okay, I'm going to enjoy this like one treat today. Um, It was like a gluten-free cake or something. Uh, And then tomorrow I'm going to go back to, to being clean. And that worked really, really well for me. You know, focusing on, um, making sure that I got in collagen and vegetables were key. Those were things that were kind of slacking as we focused, as we were eating out more often. So I started doing the daily vital veggie smoothie, which helped a ton. And I am genuinely not being paid by Sarah to continue endorsement <laughs> over a smoothie product. But no, I, you know, like when we were eating out more often, um, and certainly with having a, a hectic work life and all that kind of stuff, I was finding it a lot more difficult to eat breakfast at work and getting in proper nutrition that way. So, you know, eating the, um, eating slash drinking the vital veggies smoothie, um, and making sure that I had a salad a day and then dialing back, um, any sort of sweets, even if they were paleo, I just avoided sweets because it's a trigger food for me. So that really, really helped me from that snowball effect of, you know, sleep being affected, energy, um, all the different things that we know food can play a part in. When I focused on those two things, it really made a huge difference, I think, in my ability to transition off the medication without, you know, a significantly detrimental side effects, which I was reading about and was like, I do not want any of that. Right. So. Um, so that's, I think, an excellent segue into you know, one other part of this topic that I want to make sure we cover because I I want to make it really clear that, um, you know, we're not, you know, medication is not failure. We are not going to judge someone because they need to go on antidepressants. Um, that is, that is not a failure. That is great strength to, to recognize that that need has arisen and, and seek help. But, there are some really strong links between depression and some nutritional deficiencies. And um, there can be some other, some other, you know, like lower hanging fruit, some other places to, to start or to work on in conjunction with conventional medicine, depending on a person's individual situation. And I kind of felt like, you know, as we talk about antidepressants, it's also, you know, I I liked hitting this whole picture of, you know, diet and lifestyle and, and how those things play a role as well. And of course, sleep is has a profound effect on mood. So getting sufficient sleep is a huge thing. And exercise also um, is a huge mood regulator, um, especially actually they've, they've done some interesting studies where they've compared walking indoors with walking outdoors and shown that walking outdoors actually has an even better um, mood regulating effect than walking indoors. That's called ecotherapy because you're, I guess, out in the ecosystem. Um, but so, you know, those, those lifestyle things can be very, very helpful, but I want to talk a little bit about nutritional deficiencies. The biggest, um, 
or I guess the, the nutritional deficiency that has been the most studied in terms of its role in depression is shortage of omega-3 fatty acids. And these are specifically the long-form omega-3s, EPA and DHA. So these are the forms of omega-3 fatty acids that we find in fish and shellfish. Um, we can get some DHA from sea vegetables. Um, we also get it from grass-fed meat. Um, and... Uh, we know we like we know that omega threes are profoundly important for brain health just in general. They um, have a role to play in the transmission of serotonin and dopamine, so two really big um, important neurotransmitters. They um, actually affect um, neuron health <laughs> and and growth and activity. Um, it affects the expression of a variety of genes in the brain. Um, and there's been a tremendous amount of studies associating low dietary intake of omega-3s and depression. And then this whole separate group of studies that show um, that omega-3 supplementation and stem with fish oil in these studies and clinical trials can improve not just symptoms of depression, but uh, other related disorders like bipolar disease, ADHD, schizophrenia, um, and maybe even borderline personality disorder. So there's there's quite a lot of science showing the importance of a diet rich in omega three fatty acids for for mental health. So you know really that amounts to um, consuming you know a, a serving of fish probably daily. Um, but studies basically show that one to two grams of of EPA and DHA per day right is where um, benefits to depression start. So um, that can be done with fish oil, but it's always better to do it with, with whole foods, uh, especially because once you extract the oil from the fish, it becomes a more fragile fat. So it's more easily oxidized. And then the other like close second in terms of nutrient deficiency um, as a potential, not just um, contributor to depression, but cause of depression is vitamin D. Um, so low levels of vitamin D is very, very strongly linked with depression across multiple studies. And there's a whole, again, a whole separate group of studies showing that supplementation with, with vitamin D can mitigate depression. Um, and also even there, there's some new research showing that vitamin D, um, supplementation may help schizophrenia as well. And, um, and so, you know, with vitamin D, sun exposure is our best source, but not everybody converts uh, UVB radiation to vitamin D very efficiently. So getting tested and supplementing accordingly is, is really important. And then supplementing, you know, you supplement and you retest every three months. So you want to be keeping an eye on your vitamin D levels and making sure they don't go too high. So somewhere between sort of 50 and 70 is considered optimal once it creeps up about 80 to 100, that, that's a little bit too high. Um, and for reference, like the, the lab range, I think, goes down to like 29 or something ridiculous. So if your vitamin D level is, is 30, your doctor won't say you're deficient, but it's actually still far, fall, far short of optimal. So, um, you know, the current studies are showing that something like 75% of us are vitamin D deficient. So getting vitamin D levels checked and supplementing accordingly can be very, very helpful. There's also links with uh, B vitamin uh, deficiencies and depression, um, and there there's a couple. So uh, folate, which is vitamin B9, has the strongest link with depression, and we know that folate deficiency can 
worsen depression. Um, and this is through some um, effects on neurotransmitter metabolism. So especially the monoamine neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. Um, but there's a separate mechanism, which is especially of note for people with um, MTHFR gene variants that might be impacting methylation. Because if you're not methylating well, which can happen with an MTHFR gene variant, but it can also happen just with deficiency of uh, folate, vitamin B6, and or vitamin B12, um, we get the buildup of a chemical called homocysteine in the blood. And um, this has a pretty, it's, it's actually um, neurotoxic. So it has a pretty dramatic impact on, on mental health. So uh, making sure that you're getting enough of those B vitamins, and if you have an MTHFR um, gene variant that impacts methylation, talking with a, a qualified healthcare provider that knows about that, because um, then you would not be just taking, typically you wouldn't be supplementing with the straight forms of B6, B9, B12, but you'd be supplementing with methylated forms um, to support that cycle. So definitely, though, talk with talk with a healthcare provider about that. I'm gl- I just want to for a second glad you brought that up because um one of the other things that i did was started uh, getting back to taking daily um supplements from vital protein as an mthfr i found that the whole food version of the liver pills which is really high Mm -hmm. in b um is super super beneficial for me and um also we talked previously because my back injury about how um Dr. Kayla's uh, collagen pills have an additional effect as well to support um, my back improving. So I did um, take those. And I'm going to talk about glycine separately too. (laughs) Look, it's like, let me, it's like I'm reading your mind. It is completely. And I didn't even get text messages about this. So <laughs> that's that's even more amazing. Um, so the last uh, sort of vitamin mineral um, micronutrient that has a really strong link with depression is zinc. Um, and, you know, I, I talk a lot about zinc because it's so important in immune health. It's the second most abundant um, mineral in the human body after iron. And um something like 70 to 73% of us don't get enough dietary zinc uh, of Americans. But even on paleo, it's one of the minerals that um, people can still be deficient in um, because it's, it's found good sources. There's nuts and seeds are fairly good sources, but it's quite abundant in uh, oysters, mussels, clams, shellfish, shrimp, um, and liver. And so it's like an organ meat and shellfish type, mineral and you know even sort of um out of the box standard paleo without that extra focus on nutrient density this is one of the ones that people can still be falling short on um so zinc is um essential for neurotransmitter metabolism so um without it you know neurotransmitters are not being produced the way they're they're supposed to be so um we know that zinc deficiency is linked to um a variety of um, mental health type symptoms. Um, it's really strongly linked actually with ADHD more so than depression. Um, but it's 
supplementation with zinc has been shown to um, to be beneficial in depression. So we know zinc deficiency certainly is linked with higher rates of depression and, and zinc supplementation um, can be helpful. And again, right, whole food sources, you have to be when you supplement with especially some of these minerals, you have to worry about toxicity levels. When you get it from food, you're getting synergistic nutrients that protect against toxicity. So that's why it's always better to just eat oysters. I mean, plus they're delicious. Um, and then there's this really interesting um, link between deficiencies in certain amino acids and um, mental health, especially depression. Um, and it's because neurotransmitters are very, very small molecules that are based on an amino acid. So, um, for example, you know, everyone knows that if you eat, you know, tryptophan rich foods like, like turkey, it makes you feel sleepy. Um, that's because tryptophan is the, the precursor amino acid for serotonin and then also for melatonin. So tryptophan is converted into serotonin, serotonin is converted into melatonin. Um, tyrosine is the, the precursor, uh, or tyrosine and phenylalanine are the precursors for dopamine and norepinephrine. Um, and then um, methionine is the precursor for SAM. Um, glycine is also actually really interestingly um, been shown, supplementation with glycine has been shown to um, reduce some symptoms of schizophrenia. Um, and then taurine has actually been shown to benefit uh, bipolar disorder. So, you know, these are all amino acids that we find abundantly in meat, poultry, fish, eggs. Um, there's not necessarily a, you know, plant-based source that's going to be better for any of these. Um, but it's interesting just, you know, it's probably not something that's super relevant for people following a paleo diet, but it's definitely interesting for um, people outside of the, the paleo sphere who may be not getting sufficient dietary protein to support neurotransmitters. So those are the nutrients in which there's pretty good links and, and scientific evidence showing not just links with deficiency and higher rates of depression, but showing that supplementation can improve depressive symptoms. Um, so, you know, uh, the kind of boils down to more organ meat and more seafood. I mean, those are, those are really the, the, the big themes, but I like, I want to sort of take a step back and, um, cause one of the things that you mentioned, Stacey was eating more vegetables and that actually has a couple of benefits to, uh, mental health that are indirect. So we know that there is a pretty strong connection between uh, gut health and mental health. Um, in fact, the bacteria in our guts actually produce neurotransmitters um, and they can even, you know, they can e even produce chemicals that can affect, you know, how leaky the blood brain barrier is, for example. They, they have some pretty amazing long distance effects to the brain. And so whatever we can do to support a healthy gut microbiome is, is generally thought to be extremely helpful for mental health, although not all of the mechanisms have been, um, you know, completely studied because we still really only understand the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the gut microbiome. But vegetables in general are also full of um, a lot of, 
you know, really important antioxidant nutrients, which can help protect um, not just our bodies, but our brains against oxidative damage. Um, and for example, you know, the B vitamins are, are very richly found in like leafy greens and, and broccoli and um, beets, except for B12, which we need to get from animal sources. Yeah, I, that's interesting because I just had oysters two days ago. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, following through with cravings and um, anyway, lots, lots of, lots of seafood, shellfish kind of stuff happening in our lives. And I do um, find that the, the vital proteins, liver pills, which have both the B12 and zinc that you're talking about from a natural food source um, have, you know, just, just been really great. And I was doing those previously to try to help with uh, back, but I think in combination of that positive thinking and being ready to take the next step and um, all that kind of stuff, it really enabled me to be at a place where I was ready to take all that. Anyway, so I feel like we packed a ton of science and N equals one information into the show. And I did not cry one single time. Um, Being virtual high five. Woohoo. I think, you know, I, I just want to give kudos and props to everybody out there who's doing anything to support their own or any loved one's mental health. Um, I posted on Instagram that we recently started taking Cole to therapy because he for sure showed signs of having a difficult time with his, uh, the passing of his uncle. And, um, I got so much feedback from people thanking me for being honest about, you know, helping other as a mom being honest and open about, um, mental health for children as well. And it didn't occur to me that that was something that, um, is taboo or that someone might not do. I think, you know, I, I live in this bubble where we have a great school system and, and guidance counselors and um, just, you know, healthcare, all that kind of stuff. And so for me, it's like, well, duh, of course I'm going to do this. It was just a matter of like finding the right person that he felt comfortable with and um, that he felt he could be empowered by. And, and I, I think, you know, no matter what your situation is and where you are in life or what's happened, um, there is always a need for a support system. And I'm sure that Sarah will agree with me when I say we are honored to be part of that support system for you in whatever capacity and journey you might be on. But sometimes what you can do yourself is limited. And um, I think what is most important for me to share about this podcast is I 100% stand by everything that, you know, we talked about before. And what I want, what I hope people can take away is that um, going down this path doesn't need to be this snowball of negativity. And I think, you know, sometimes someone might have the pressure, um, impression of, well, once I do this, then all of these other things can happen. And certainly if I had not been my own advocate, if I hadn't done research, if I wasn't 
um, informed about what my goals were and what I wanted out of things when I talked to my doctor about the medication, you know, I could have been put on another medication to deal with some of the symptoms of the first medicine. And then it becomes like this snowball effect. And if I had mentally not been in a place to take on something else, then that's what I would have done. But I fortunately had seen great improvement from taking the medication for the time that I needed it and was in a place where I was able to transition off um, in combination with some of these other things that we talked about. And so I hope that it can inspire people not just to, you know, be honest with themselves about what they might need, but also to not feel hopeless that, you know, when you take that on, you can't come out of the black hole, so to speak. Or it's the same thing with AIP. You know, when people take it on, they feel very overwhelmed by how limited things feel. And Sarah and I try to explain that oftentimes you're able to reintroduce foods later. And once you get the hang of it, it doesn't feel nearly as restrictive anyway, because you, you know, start making your own recipes for different kinds of foods and, and that kind of stuff. And so I hope that this message is one of hope and one of, you know, a success story of utilizing modern medicine to maximum advantage without, you know, overdoing it to the point of utilizing things that are unnecessary. Um, yeah, that's what I got. I mean, here, here. <laughs> well, I've kept Sarah up way past her bedtime. So I am just going to tell you all, thank you so much for listening. And uh, as a reminder, if you enjoy the Paleo View, sharing it with your friends and family, uh, leaving us reviews, commenting on our social media, commenting on our blogs, using the links on our blogs and the show notes, all are wonderful ways to show us your appreciation so that we can continue to do this for you after 251 episodes. <laughs> so much easier to keep track after, after a big milestone. Yeah. We'll forget next week though. This is true. <laughs> Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.